is At Your Cervix, the podcast. The podcast where pelvic health physiotherapists Emma Brockwell and Gwanya Donnelly talk to incredible guests who help lift the lid and bust the myth on all things pelvic health. This episode is brought to you by Pelvic Relief. Born out of necessity, Pelvic Relief was founded by mother of three, Eleanor Gardner, for all of those who discovered they could not access quality products and information to manage conditions such as pelvic pain, incontinence and painful sex. Led by science and quality, Pelvic Relief have brought together best-in-class products for Pelvic Relief, including soft source silicon and GRS dilators, O-nut, EVB support wear, period and incontinence pants, EZ Magic and yes, lubricants and moisturisers. Gronya and I highly recommend Pelvic Relief, frequently referring our patients to purchase quality products, knowing they will receive a quality service. To visit the website, visit www.pelvicrelief.co.uk. Thank you so much, Pelvic Relief, for sponsoring At Your Cervix podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to At Your Cervix, the podcast. Emma and I are so excited today to be talking across the world to Cara Goucher. So for anyone who hasn't heard of Cara, I'm pretty sure most of you have, but she is an American long distance runner. She won the silver medal in the 2007 World Championships in the 10,000 metres and is a two-time Olympian. A podium finisher at the Boston and New York City Marathon, she also competed for the University of Colorado, where she was a three-time NCAA champion. After more than a decade as a Nike athlete, Cara is now sponsored by Wazelle and Altra and is a co-founder of the Clean Sport Collective, an anti-doping initiative. She lives in Boulder, Colorado with her husband, Adam, also an elite runner, and her son, Colt. And you can read more about her at caragoucher.com. Welcome, Cara. I was delighted to meet you at AMSSM and everyone will realize that this is a season that follows a conference in the previous season because you can see that you are the second AMSSM <laughs> um, connection that we have had onto the podcast this season. So that's why I love conferences. But I met you because we were on the female athlete panel together and I was really blown away by your talk. It was that athlete experience and really bringing in a lot of what we as different healthcare professionals and researchers were talking about, but you were able to provide the lived context of it. So it was really, really exciting. And I'd like to begin by a really general and open-ended question about asking you in a reflective way, what do you think the challenges have been as a female athlete through the years? Oh my goodness, so many, (laughs) (laughs) so, so many. You know, when I think back to like my younger years, I definitely going through puberty was super hard and no one talked to me about it. I didn't know, you know, no one was like there saying like, this is what happens. It's okay. I didn't get my period until I was 16 and a half. And so my friends had already had it by then, but um, just like adjusting to that body and working through that was, was really difficult for me because I went from being this little tiny petite runner to a woman. I was like, this body sucks, you know, it's like slow and I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. And I wish I had had, like, that was just a hard transition for me to finally realize, oh no, this is like, this is way stronger than that body. And this can do a lot more. Um, I was well into Colorado before I realized that. And then I think like in an elite or professional context, sport in general is just dominated by males. And that's not necessarily 
wrong or bad, but I didn't have any female influence, you know, in coaching, assistant coaching, trainers, you know, no, there was zero females when I was, when I was an elite athlete in my, in my orbit. And so there was never anyone that understood my body. You know, maybe I'm on my menstrual cycle and I'm not feeling well. There was no one to talk to about that. And then I think the biggest shocker for me was after I had my son and how it was just sort of seen as like, well, you made that decision and now you're overweight. So what are you going to, you know, I mean, really, I was talked to like this. So those were the challenges as a female that I faced that I really hope the next generation doesn't have to, I mean, all those things are going to happen, but they have better tools and people who actually understand what is happening to their bodies. Oh, wow. I was going to say that touches on so many things that Em and I cover in the podcast over multiple different sessions. So I'm so glad that you, I'm so glad I had asked such an open-ended question because that was just a really nice <laughs> crash summary into what we need to talk about. And you're right. Um, it it actually does start at that younger age because you you mentioned back as a younger athlete and no one talking about even things like menstrual cycles and what happens and what changes will come about your body. And I think that's where a lot of education needs to happen. And I know, Emma, you talk about this quite a lot too, that we need to be getting into schools and educating women. Would you agree? Yeah, I think that's that seems to be quite a running theme throughout every season about your cervix, actually. Um, and um, Cara, we recently spoke to a um, female athlete um, called Casey Sanders, 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 sorry, Casey Sanders from America as well. And um, she unfortunately suffered with reds, um, had an eating disorder um, and was very, very, very unwell. Um, she was actually hospitalized as a teenager and you know, she said exactly the same thing. She just wasn't getting any advice about her menstrual cycle, about her energy in and her energy out. And it's, it's she describes it now as her superpower because she's a physical therapist um, who really specializes in, in treating female athletes with, with a bias, if you like, around reds. But, but it seems such a huge journey that you've all had to undertake and you've all had to do it on your own by the sounds of it it doesn't sound like really your your athletic generation has had much support or guidance at all so where do you think we are now with our with our female athletes and the education that coaches and and healthcare professionals are offering them yeah I mean I do think something like social media has changed because now we can talk about our experiences to the younger generation you know when I was in high school and my body was changing I my mom was a great mom, but she like wasn't an athlete. And she was just like, your sisters already have their periods, you know, like you were just late, you know, it was just like no conversation. And so what I've done is like, tried to talk to girls about like, you're because I felt like I was failing. I felt like my superpower was that it was a little tiny pocket rocket and I could outrun anyone forever because I was tiny. So when I started getting tall, I mean, I was five feet when I started uh, high school, four years later, I was five, eight. So when I started growing up and out and not even necessarily out, but just like the scale went from like 80 to 130, I'm thinking I'm failing. I'm doing something wrong. I've gotten lazy. And like I said, I had people around me who love me, but no one was saying like, this is actually, you're doing great. Like you're going to struggle for a year or two, figuring out this new body. But then this, what you think is fast for a mile now, this new body will be able to do that for a 10K or for a marathon. And like your little body couldn't have done that. It couldn't have handled that. 
And so that's kind of what I just try to talk to girls about. Um, I'm not a coach, but I do speak to high school teams and things like that. And, you know, then when I was in college, I, there was just eating disorders all around me. And I definitely fell into disordered eating for a while. And I'm grateful that it was just sort of like a year and a half experiment that went totally wrong. Like I just started getting injured. And when I talk to people about that, it's like, I wasted three years of my career because I kept getting stress fractures. Like what a waste. It didn't get me anything. You know, it got me like a few immediate results, but then it was stagnant and then I couldn't stay healthy. So I do think that we're seeing more and more people talk openly about this. Um, Molly Seidel has spoken openly. Um, I'm forgetting her name right now. She's from Alaska. Um, wow, that's really going to bother me. But other women, Mary Kane's been talking. Mary about Kane it, has talked she? about, it. Yeah. yeah, and all of that matters. Like, it matters to know, like, because there's also a lot of shame in that. There's yeah. shame in getting bigger, and then there's shame in having an eating disorder, and you're trying to hide it from everyone, and you're trying to control everything. And there's so much shame in all of it. So I do really think that, like, when these women talk openly. And they they don't have that shame. It really can help the next generation say, okay, first of all, I'm going to be more prepared. My body's supposed to change. I'm happy about that. I'm not sad about that, you know? And then like, I don't need to make myself tiny to be successful. What I need is to take care of my body. I need to nourish it well. I need to sleep. I need to appreciate what it does. And, and also just the way we talk about nutrition. I mean, I had coaches my whole life that were like, you're fat. You're just eating too much. My entire career. And instead of talking about being fat, what if we reframed it as like, you have a really long, hard, sustained effort tomorrow. Make sure you get plenty of clean carbs tonight. Like eat some rice, make sure you're eating your sweet potatoes. Hey, you had a really hard track workout today. You really need some protein. Make sure you go get that steak tonight that you want, whatever. Like, what if we talked about food like that instead of, you know, instead of like good food versus bad food? And I don't know. I just feel like, I do feel like the culture is changing a little bit and there's a lot of discussion, which I think helps. Um, Ali Ostrander, that's what I was trying to come up with. Um, But I also feel like even though we're talking about it, it's still happening. Does that make sense? Like it's still happening. So we don't have the platform yet or the educational system yet to like actually stop it from happening. Yeah, because the new stages or the new way of focusing isn't, I suppose, shown to be, you know, the young athletes want to be successful. They're looking to, I suppose, um, impress probably their coaches and things. They want to be selected. So what do you do? You have to kind of buy into what the process is. If You know what I mean? You're trying to keep on side and it's a really difficult place to be. I'm actually interested when you were getting your stress fractures and you knew, you know, looking back now, it was disordered eating. I'm interested, firstly, did you know it was disordered eating at the time? And secondly, did any of your coaches pick up on the fact that you were probably in an energy deficit because of these telltale signs? Well, wouldn't that have been nice? No. (laughs) No. (laughs) Um, I knew what I was doing was wrong. I knew I was writing a, a line that was, you know, I made up these rules like, on Friday, I can have whatever I want. Friday and Saturday, I can eat normally. And then the rest of the days, I'm gonna measure. I mean, I just like, like made up these ridiculous rules and I'm 44 and I still have to check myself with these stupid rules that I made up when I was 20, you know? Um, and I mean, to be totally honest, I w- went home after the national championship. I went home the collegiate national championship where I had run really well. Um, and I went home to watch my younger sister who had her very last, you know, high school state championship. And my mom was like, 
you, we, we're going to do something about your eating. And I was like, what me? No, what? You know, like deny, deny, deny. Um, but she was the one that was like, Oh, I love that. Yeah. She was hardcore. She was like, I don't want you going back in the fall unless you can gain a little weight. Like this is not you, this is not healthy. And I, and I was an adult at that point. Like I turned 22 that summer. I was a full grown adult, but she had that influence on me to, to think like, okay, well, I don't want my mom to be mad at me. And I knew, I knew I was skirting a line. I would see pictures of myself and I was like, oh, you know, I knew it. I knew it, but I was running really well. I know. Right? Not, and that's like, that's like, the so I was like, well, yeah, I'm like, well, I know I look like crap, but I mean, I just won a national title. I mean, you know, and it just, it messes with you. And what happened with me was, yeah, I slowly started eating and stuff again. But I think I had just done too much damage. So even though I came back and I was a healthier person, like it was a slow process. It wasn't like I just went, okay, I'll just eat like a normal person. It was like a six month process before I was really truly eating healthily again. But that's when I started getting injured because my body was just like, it was just done. You know, like you can only ride that line for so mm-hmm. long. And I, I try to warn people like you will pay a price. It might not be right then. Like for me, I started getting injured when I was healthy. It was so frustrating. But it's just not worth it. It really isn't. It's not, but it makes the buy-in to a healthy lifestyle so much harder, doesn't it? Um, it's it's such you're treading such a thin line when you're at that elite level, um, and it must be really difficult. But on reflection, I'm, I'm hoping you think you wouldn't change it for the world. A healthy lifestyle, I mean, versus oh. not not eating enough. No, I, that was my last couple of years of college where I really struggled with that. And yeah, I won some national titles, but for, I'm not kidding you for three, four years after that, I was completely just always hurt. I would start to get better. I'd start to get in shape and then my hip would hurt and I'd have a stress fracture. And honestly, what finally happened was I gained a lot of weight and just became okay with my body and started training again. And by this point I was in my mid to late twenties, like thinking like, what am I even doing? But my husband was, was an Olympic athlete. So he was living lifestyle. So I was like, still just doing it. But I really think it was, you know, allowing myself to fully heal and then move forward. And I never weighed within 10 pounds of what I weighed in college ever again. Wow. Do you think we see the same happening with young boys and and men in sport when it comes to energy and, and, and fueling and, you know, eating disorders? I do think it happens to men for sure. And even my husband at times would struggle like trying to get leaner. I do think it's just with females. It's just a little bit different though. Everything is so personal for us. I think that's like a superpower of ours, you know, like we, we really feel, so we really care, but the Mm. influence when you're told, you know, you could lose some weight or this is where you hide your fat, or are you really going to eat that? I think that sits with us more because we ain't, we're, I mean, as women, as young girls, we're told to like, be nice, be polite, respect your elders. And I think we kind of get groomed into like wanting to please all the time. I do think like the college university system is the hardest period because you're away from home Mm. and you just want to please the people around you. And so I think you're really susceptible at that age. I do think it happens to men too. I'm not going to downplay that. I worry, you know, I want my son to be like happy and healthy and not worry about his weight. But I feel like as women, it's just, we internalize it a little bit more. One little comment. I mean, everyone that I talked to, every single female that I ever trained with had some hiccup with food. Some of them, it was obvious. Some, it was like their weird little thing. 
But when you, when I would talk to them, it was like one little comment, oh. one like off, you know, off the cuff comment, no big deal. Like, oh, you're looking a little chunky. Oh, did you gain a little weight? Oh, look at, you know, oh, just nice. something that like planted that seed and then they just could never get that out. And oh, I don't that's... know that men are as susceptible. You know, they're a little bit more like, you're a jerk. Yeah, it <laughs> washes <laughs> off them and they can forget yeah. it. And almost they can be like, what are you talking about? I look great. <laughs> like, <laughs> totally. Seen with confidence. <laughs> yeah, but, it just makes them feel better. They're like, screw you. We're, we're like <laughs> internalize it. I yeah, and you hold on to it. It was something said 10 years ago and you're still yes. thinking about it. Totally. <laughs> but what I'm thinking is you mentioned in your really great intro that you, obviously the transition into motherhood you were obviously still training and performing at that stage but you had been told about you know there was comment to do through weight at that stage too like what happened after you became a mom because that's a huge thing and how did that process of as being an elite athlete and transition and how did that feel or navigate for you okay I just want to disclaimer that I would never encourage anyone to do what I did I was in a very really hardcore team. I wasn't my sponsor at the time was Nike and they had stopped paying me for my medical condition. They wouldn't say pregnancy. So my salary was on hold until I could come back and prove that I was uh, back. And so I started like, this makes me want to cry. I started running a week after my son was born. (gasps) Closing my vagina as you speak. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and that's the thing. Like, I just want to like, maybe this is too much information, but I had to wear a diaper for three months. I mean, there, it was just bleeding like crazy. I had to sit on a donut for almost a year because it's so uncomfortable. But I, my, my coach asked, told me I had to be back at practice two weeks post delivery. So I was, and I mean, it wasn't like I couldn't do the workouts I was doing before I got pregnant, but I was like out there running a mile as hard as I could building my mileage up, going to the weight room. I remember telling my, my weight coach, like, I just had a baby two months ago. Like, I don't like I, my body doesn't feel right. Like, is there anything I should be doing like more core? Like everything feels like really open (laughs) and I kid you not he said well every workout every exercise is a core exercise if you focus on your core I was like simple as that never never mind (laughs) so I do regret that I ran my fastest marathon in my life before my son was even seven months old and it was painted as this yeah well it's not good though it was painted as this like amazing story Mm. and I regret that because I have a hip issue that started during that time that I've never, that I've had an MRI now and it's just permanently damaged because I wasn't ready to be out there, but I was under so much pressure. So I get female athletes, especially runners that will call me and say, can you show me what you did to get back together that fast? And I'm like, no, it was, I regret it all. I regret it all. I should have taken, I should have started when I was ready. And it should have been a slow progression and it should have been my body making the decision, not my coaches or my sponsor. And I do, I regret all that. Because you would, you were torn with that fact of either maybe losing sponsorship or whatever. And that's a really difficult position to put someone in because when that's your livelihood and you know, you, what we have to survive <laughs> and they're that you're putting someone in such a difficult position, a touch, such an important and transitional point in their life. And that's really, really unfair. And I know things have, am I right in saying things have changed quite a bit in terms of maternity rights for athletes? Is that, is that fair to say? So most contracts still won't say maternity because then that's legal, but most of the contracts have been rewritten to give you like a grace period. 
And so it's, it's, and how long is the grace period for? So like for like the companies that I work with now, they have maternity clauses written in so that you can't get screwed. You can't have your pay taken away. But even some of the bigger companies, they have amended their contracts, but it's basically saying, you know, if you use the word like maternity, then all this legal stuff comes with it and they don't want to deal with that. So it basically says, if you get pregnant, you have nine months before you're required to race or worry about your standings, but that's nine months. It's, you know what I mean? It's still better than what I had, which was you have a medical condition and you're not racing and you're done. You know, we're taking, we're not going to pay you. So I think we still have a little ways to go there before women are officially protected all the way, but it's certainly a lot better than when I was there, when I was running. And is that, Cara, is that nine months after the baby or nine months from when you announced pregnancy? So that's a really good question, but I do believe it's from the time you give birth. Okay. I don't actually have the contract in my Yeah, Hopefully, Um, because we've seen a lot of, I know there's a lot of, and that's where social media and thing comes in too, because there's a lot of driving force behind some, like the New York Times did a lovely feature with um, Alicia Montana and Alison mm-hmm. Felix as well. And yep. there was lovely kind of, um, there's lovely kind of features put out in that and they went viral. And, you know, you get, a, you get women who can relate to this stage of life and you get a lot of women together and women bring power when they get their heads together. Mm-hmm. And I would like to think that there's going to be a lot more change, but it's just, it's, it's, scary because there's no consideration for the future proofing of women and female athletes and their ability to enjoy the activities they're doing because if we overload and expose women to the types of activities that maybe their body isn't ready for then they may end up with either injuries or significant symptoms of pelvic floor dysfunction that could then mean that they have to really restrict activities later in life and that's just not good so it's not good to just focus on the now while we can get performance out of this athlete it's like well, how can we support this athlete and <laughs> support her through life after mm, all right years? do you know what I mean exactly. oh totally And that's one of the things I talk about is women, their careers are lasting longer and longer before you'd run until your early thirties. And then you'd say, well, I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a family now and step away. But now we're seeing, especially here in the States, women with children in their late thirties doing well. So it's just, it doesn't even make sense to punish a woman while they're pregnant or as they're coming back. It makes sense to say, Hey, if I let her body fully recover and come back when she's ready she's going to be happier she's going to perform well she's going to be healthier and i'm going to get her for four more years on the other Mm -hmm. end you know she's not going to be dealing with this hip injury or this pelvic injury that shortens her career it's just so short-sighted right and also a lot of a lot of uh postpartum athletes are returning back to their sport better than they were pre-pregnancy so I think as a sponsor that would that would really excite me and I'd be thinking oh I am gonna this 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 amazing woman is potentially going to get better and better so we we need to support and nurture her whole perinatal period but it, it sounds to me like and correct me if I'm wrong did, did you get any support did you get any advice any assessment from from someone like us a pelvic health physiotherapist did you get any any of that when you had your baby no no Wow. Just, oh, I remember you saying this at AMS. It's because you were like, I'd love to have known some of this information oh. so many years ago. Because yeah. I think, am I right? Did you, would you have, you've mentioned about postpartum and maybe the three months afterwards, you find that you would have had some urinary incontinence with running, I'm assuming. And did oh, that, yeah. did, did coaches know about that? 
Yeah, they thought it was funny. We all oh, just laughed so about it. Yeah. Good. So I saw a pelvic floor therapist like so like when I'm talking years, 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 years later, I'm trying to think maybe back in 2015. So at that point, my son was like five years old. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing this woman and she's like, amazing. And she's like, there's so much scar tissue. And there's so much trauma in here. And I just couldn't I just felt so sad. Yeah. Not even I mean, yeah, for myself, just like it was such a struggle. And I'm very lucky that I had a very supportive husband. But like, he couldn't swap bodies with me. Or anything, you know? <laughs> he could take care of our son while I worked out, but he couldn't be like, here, I know everything below the waist hurts. Here, let's just swap. You know, like if he couldn't do that. And so it made me sad. And that's the thing that I really don't want other women to have to go through that. You know, like they shouldn't have to. If And they, I like, I, I would, I came back, I had been visiting my mom and she lives in a different state than I do. And I came back and I was telling my friends about this pelvic floor therapist. And they were like, ew, that sounds weird. And I was like, it's life changing. <laughs> I know so many women come to our clinics and they're a bit nervous on their first, maybe they don't really know what lies ahead. And usually like you're not even halfway in it. So they're like, oh my goodness, I'm so glad I came because they're just like, suddenly they're like, this is what I, I actually wanted someone to check and make sure everything's okay down there or everything's not and what I need to do. And yes. it's just nearly like a weight lifted off that we can speak openly about these things. And you seem to understand and you've heard that other people have these symptoms. It's not just me. And I'm like, yes, we have yeah. this career. We specialize because this is all we do. We have, that we need more of us. And yes. so it, it, it's really, really, really empowering. Oh, it, it's, you know, there's times that because Emma and I, you know, work in a certain bubble and a lot of the stuff we follow, there's times that we're like, we're making such headway, you know, the world is getting, and then you just get a reality check and you're like, there is so much work to do. Like we are nowhere near where we need to be. And like Olympic level athletes, everybody, like we're camping, every woman should have access to postpartum care and pelvic health physiotherapy. But you would think that Olympic level athletes would have the best of the best and the most evidence-informed information. And it's funny because we had, Tiana Madison on last season who or was it earlier this season. season and this season I, and mm -hmm. she highlighted how she had female health related issues gynecological issues that were only picked up because she went to the Olympic um medical doctor clinic about her ankle injury and when she was in she was having significant symptoms but it was like she didn't even go about this thing that she really needed healthcare for and it was just a chance that she'd been there and finally dots were aligned but it just to me I'm just like hold on a wee minute there's just not enough understanding about female specific issues and I think there's a lot of times where because there's this identity of a female athlete and Female athletes are strong, they're fit, mm -hmm. they're, they're, we think about them as medically healthy. Sometimes I think that there can be a, like, you can almost um, assume that women do not have any of these issues that are like pelvic dysfunction or urogynecological issues or issues that are associated with people after they have a baby when and we're just nearly blanket refusing to go there, which is what we're seeing in some elite athletes. And that's just, that needs to change. <sighs> Yeah. I mean, that was my experience. They looked at me before I left the hospital and that was the last time anyone looked at me. But also I just want to stress the sports world, especially the elite sports world is so male dominated mm. that I, I mean, I was a grown up. I was 32 years old, but I, and I could have advocated for myself, but I didn't because we're, I didn't even know where I'd go. And everyone around me, I felt like 
I felt like if I said something and the few times that I did, it was like, oh, she's complaining again, you know? And I just felt like, okay, no, like nobody here could possibly know what I'm going through. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to have to suck it up. And I did feel a lot of pressure. I was getting ready for the Boston Marathon. That's the race I ran before my son turned seven months old. And there was so much pressure. Like my pregnancy had been announced on the front page of the uh, sports section of the New York Times. My, My comeback was like so well documented in the press. And I just felt so much pressure like that I have to deliver for all these women and so that like we can still have a place in sport after we have kids and I wasn't the first woman to have a kid it was just very I think it was one of the more public in the running I mean in the United States without a doubt it was the most public comeback and so it was just so much pressure I just felt like I couldn't do anything I had to make sure I performed well I just had put my head down, sit on the donut, change the diaper, just my own diaper, just get through this. And prove it's not even funny. I'm this. not even into laughing. Oh, I can laugh not- about it now. Like it was so sad when I think about it now, like even my husband will be like, I was going to the store and buying me like oh. diapers. And I'm like, I know it was, it was bonkers. But and what I was like- that doing for you? I'm sorry, um, Gronya. Um, I, I was just going to ask what that was doing for your mental health. Like where were you at at that stage? Oh, I, totally cracked about four months in I totally cracked and had a complete meltdown and I did go see my OB and she said Kara you're running 120 miles a week you're nursing six times a day like something like something has to go and I will always thank her because she knew I couldn't give up the running and she gave me permission to feel like I did my job with nursing. Like I, that was a lot of guilt to step away and wean myself after that. But she sort of like gave me that, like my husband was like, just stop nursing. You know, and I'm like, I can't, oh. we could mess him up forever. You know, like oh. everybody says. Pre- again, another level oh. of pressure that mom's put <laughs> yeah, like this, Are you mom enough? Yeah. Right. And so, um, she like gave me that permission. And so, um, that was really helpful. Like it really stands out as someone who I needed and was there in that moment. But no, I was completely cracking. I mean, I don't even really remember that time very well. Yeah, right. I mean, I no new mom it. does, but yeah. Yeah, because you just, you're so exhausted and you were nursing as well. And and all that training, I genuinely cannot, having had two children myself, I can't even imagine how you did it. And did it really well as well. That's what's so incredible about the whole story. But and, I think and- that's women in general. We will just get yeah. shit done, right? Like yeah. I, I, everyone kept saying to me, have you guys ever heard of Dara Torres? She's the swimmer. No. She's this Olympic good. swimmer from the United States and she is a mom. And all, the coaches and people in my circle kept saying, look at Dara Torres. She returned to competition with the, with, you know, like within a month of giving birth, she's willing to talk to you. And I was like, she's a swimmer. It's different. <laughs> It is different. It's not as loaded. I felt like everything was going to fall out of my body, you know, and I, I admire what Dara Torres did, but sometimes I think when we make these stories about like these incredible comebacks, it actually doesn't raise us as women actually hurts us because then it's this unreal expectation for everyone else to follow. I totally agree. agree. And actually when you were saying about, you know, that idea of supporting women so that you can get more years after because they're fitter they're stronger they're back to stay like sponsors should actually realize and sports organizations should realize what that does for the elevation of the sport in the sense that there's a whole population of the general public who 
may not be engaging and watching certain sports and things, but then suddenly they hear of this mother and they identify with that. So then suddenly they want to see and they want to cheer on that woman who's back mm-hmm. and look at her. And I think that they don't realize they can really grow the sports in terms of one, they'll grow the athlete pop pool because they'll be staying longer. And two, they'll have lots more spectators and people interested in the sport because there's this, you're, you're basically, you're given an elite athlete representation of people to aspire to. Do you know what I mean? Because everyone can identify yeah. different mm-hmm. aspects of life. And it's not just like, oh, elite athletes, it's only from your teens to your 20s when you've got life sorted. Um, so I think that's really, really, really useful. So I just want to just make sure I get this one in because I, I want to just know, honestly, though, if you knew that you did have the support and, you know, you could take your time returning to your sport, with, a, with that elite athlete mind, do you think, in all honesty, that elite athletes would take, would, would take that, that support and take that time? Because there's that, there's that thing inside you that wants to get back to sport, wants to get back to that competitiveness. And, and as much as, of course, we advocate that women take their time to return to sport after having a baby, do you think there's something more that we need to think about when it comes to elite athletes, that mentality? Does it override that want when even, even if they had the support? Um, yes, you're right. I mean, to make it like to, the, to become an Olympic athlete, you have to be totally crazy, mm. right? You have to yeah. be like, go, 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 go. <laughs> but I will say in this one situation, it's not like once I had my son, I was always like, okay, if I went, I still really wanted to win an Olympic medal, but it was never the thing guiding my life anymore. And I don't have very many regrets in life. I feel like I really try to live every moment. But the one thing I really regret is not spending more time at home with my child. Yeah. And in those first, in that first year, honestly, um, I was lucky enough that, like I said, my husband's very supportive. I'd go to training camp and my husband would come so that I could, right. you know, um, have him there. I mean, I could never have just got, just gone to training camp without him, which is mo- a lot of my teammates were fathers and they were like, what's the big deal? Just leave him at home. I'm serious. Right. <laughs> it's so different. I'm like, I'm the mom. I yeah. can't. Um, so I do think if I had had this support and I really truly felt like they understand, and this is like, you know, for once in my life, there was something more important than that next race. And so I do think that in this one situation, it's not about you anymore, right? I do yeah. think women would take the support. And you could even frame it as like a competitive advantage. Like you're yeah. going to get all this pelvic yeah. floor therapy. You're going to get all this stuff. And so the people that rush back, like me, have all these issues for the rest of their career, but you won't. You'll actually be strong and you'll be able to like capitalize on the fact that you got stronger while you were pregnant. And I mean, you could even like spin it. Like I would have totally bought into that, you know? And it's yeah. true. But yeah. I think it's good. Yeah. And even the career longevity, that's a huge buy-in because, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's fantastic. It, I, it's a really difficult one because too, once people enter motherhood and even if they do take the chance to train and recover, if women decide and if they want to go on and then suddenly they can feel like they're setting themselves back again, if, you know, if you go on for a subsequent pregnancy. So, so it is a difficult one. And it's a very definitely one of those unique circumstances that female athletes have to contend with I think because like while male athletes yes their their life can change they can have a newborn baby they can have disrupted sleep to the very best but they don't have the physical psychological physiological changes to their body and 
One of the other interesting things when I think about it that you spoke about at the conference in America where I met you was about, I suppose, youth development and I suppose the pressures that young kids are facing today when it comes to sports specialization. Can you talk a little bit about that, Cara? Yeah, so I grew up, my mom was remarried for most of my childhood and we had a household rule that you had to be playing a sport at all times. And so at the time, I, I didn't always love it. Um, but now I do because I can watch any sport and I tried it and I understand it. And I actually like really enjoy watching sport because of that. But like I, my, my senior year of high school, I was dancing. I was like dancing for a different studio, running for my high school, skiing for my high school, playing soccer for a club team. And this wasn't all at the same time, but throughout the year, you know, and I, I love that. And so imagine like now I have a son who's 12. And, and I mean, we've been fighting this for probably five years now. He's playing soccer. He's doing really well. They do a tryout. Now they just have to play year round. And my husband and I will like go, no, 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 no. We put on the brakes. We go and join club instead. And then even club gets so competitive. Or then he tries another sport for one year. It's kind of fun and low key. And then the pressure starts again. And my whole thing is he's 12. He doesn't even know what he wants to do yet. How could he commit to soccer full time or mm. football full time or running full time he's 12 like he's there's still so many sports he hasn't had a chance to try and it is so bad I don't know how it is over in Europe but in the United States it is so bad the the competitive sports and they want you to buy in soon so many of my friends their kids had to quit all these things they love because they're on a traveling soccer team that plays you know all year round or baseball team and it's hard because I try to gently say like but think about how we grew up. We didn't do that. We were running around and trying all sorts of things. And, you know, like it turned out okay for me. And, you know, I didn't run, only run until I went to college, you know, um, and it makes me worried. And that was one of the things we were, the, one of the doctors on the panel, she was talking about all of these knee surgeries that she's seen from young girls who are like 16 that have been playing so competitively already for 10 years that they're having surgery and that they're saying, well, I hope I can get back, I get at least 80% back and they're teenagers. No. And so I, I do think parents are usually well, I mean, we all know the psycho parent on the sideline. That's just like crazy, <laughs> but, right? We all can think of someone right away. Um, but I do think most parents are well-intended and they just want to give their mm. kid opportunities. So they have this coach or this program saying you have to do this, this, and this, and they're like, okay, okay. But it, it's not good. It's not mm -hmm. good. Our kids should not be specializing. And, and also if, and when they decide to specialize, it should always be their choice, not a coach's choice, not a parent's choice. Um, it's just really out of control here in, in America. It's the That's same. Interesting. I find it the same over here. And I think and it's really hard because you're nearly, and it's also a sign that you've obviously got an athletic child, if you know what mm. I mean, because they're one of those children that no matter what sport they go to, they're wanted nearly to be put into the development squad. And you then, because we're kind of like, same idea, we want our kids to be sampling and kind of testing out what they want to do and finding their own feet and making their own choice. But then you nearly get sold this idea of, but this is the age you need to specialize at and you're nearly like you're going to miss the boat and you're like oh what what if what if she is really mm -hmm. talented and she seems to like it right now should we lock into that but no it's 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 even the serious pressure that comes with that because we did lock down into one sports with my daughter for a very short period because she said she wanted to do it 
and then the fun went out of the score and suddenly yeah. she didn't, you know what I mean because it didn't become yep. fun anymore she's only eight like she right. made fun you know what I mean but it's hard too right because you're like well I, am I holding am I actually hurting my child by telling them they can't play seven days a week 365 like <laughs> am I actually the bad guy here but then I think you like have to take a deep breath and be like let's look at elite athletes let's look at the top of the top sure there are some people like Tiger Woods that was playing from a super young age all day long or the Williams sisters in tennis. Yeah. But the majority of them, like if you actually dive into it, played a bunch of sports growing up, even in high school, we're still playing a bunch of sports. And so, yeah, it's, it, you know, I am very competitive and so is my husband. So we're constantly having to remind each other, like, no, he's not falling behind. If that's his sport, he's going to figure it out later and it's going to be okay. And we're because con- we both are like, that's crazy. He's not doing that. And one of us will be like, but are, are we like throwing, like, just like you're with your said, your eight year old, like, that's when we started being like, wait, are we already throwing away his mm-hmm. career? And then yeah. the other one's like, are you missing no, the boat? this is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah and it, like, it's, and it's really helpful to have a team like that. I agree agree because it's really hard when development squads or people are telling you but we see real potential and you're like oh Mm -hmm. it's kind of nice to hear you're like oh there is potential that's really good and she enjoys it oh very good and then you're like whoa 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 breaks kind of thing but it's also like I watched the actually Serena's documentary on Netflix which is her take of the career and you know she highlights the the real life struggles and some of the difficulties that were through that idea of really young specialization and really the pressure, the training. It's not all glam. And yet right. the general public, we see the glamour side of things when they turn up to Wimbledon and they do, you know what I mean? And it's not, it's mm-hmm. not as simple as that. It's tough because we talk a little about energy deficit too. And like if we're getting people specializing and training young girls at that young age, particularly that's where we're starting to enter them into a cycle for that risk of energy deficit. And that's at a really key point in development. So all these bodily changes that you struggled with at the time, which you now realize were brilliant because they're bringing this new body that's going to be so powerful and resourceful to you. The girls need to know about that and they need to know the importance of nutrition, rest, recovery, sleep, all the factors that really feed into development. And I don't think that we're educating parents, kids, anyone half enough. And it's it's just, yeah, there's so much work to be done. But conversations like this are a really good place to start. And it's really, really influential when someone like you, who has had such a successful career and is so well known and does have that, you know, yes, your birth announced across the front page of everything, your comebacks followed, and there's a lot of pressure with that. But you've also a huge voice, and it's that voice of experience that can really start to hit home with people. So we're really grateful for you sharing your story. And another thing I want to say is that you talked about the male-dominated, I suppose, sports world and things. And I remember looking out at that. Um, there was quite a good crowd at the conference, and it's a majority male sports medicine population. And how influential was that? Because there has been many a discussion since, and there's been lots of, I still hear people talk about that female athlete panel. And it was, there was an engaged audience. Like I was actually like, oh, I hope this isn't the one that a lot of sports medicine doctors look at and think, oh, it's not for me. I'm not bothered. Whereas yet there was a real captive audience. It was really good. And there was a really good buzz in the room. Yeah, I agree. And, and that's like the thing, right? Like you need to just see people. You need to hear people you know, for a lot of young girls, like I do commentating for NBC now. And 
I, when I got the job, I didn't even know if I wanted the job, but I was like, I'm going to take the job because I want a young girl to turn on the Olympics and to hear a girl's, right. a woman's voice yeah. talking about that mile race, not a man, man's voice, a woman's voice. And so I think like just being on that panel, having all those doctors see, and they were engaged. They were great. They were respectful, but there's a whole bunch of us out there that yeah. have a lot to add and a lot of things that we're good at that we can help with. And we sometimes we just need like a crack in the door, yeah. you know? And I feel like those panels, that's what that is. It's like a little crack where then they can hear and they go, hmm, maybe mm. we should, you know? Yeah, and I think women like you with your experience and your passion, also on the flip side for the kids that are nervous or the girls in particular who are nervous about sport who who don't feel it's for them because unfortunately we do see that more with girls that they 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 lose the love of sport quite early in in life and I think hearing from someone like you you know why sport's so brilliant and and, and why it's for everyone I mean I I think that's such an empowering thing for girls to hear and do, do you do you do any talks for, for girls of, 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 who aren't certain about exercise and physical activity yeah I did have a girls camp um but it kind of died during COVID but it was for girls that ran it wasn't a competitive training camp and like it was more about like respecting your body appreciating the changes you know managing social media things like that we did talk a little bit about nutrition but nothing no like micronutrients, more like what I was saying earlier about like, if you have a long run, you need this. Um, now I do, so every once in a while, like, I don't know, three or four times a year, people, I mean, all the time people will say, well, you talk to my team and I'm like, ah, but now on Zoom, it's actually not that hard. Yeah. So I try to pick like three or four teams a year that I talk to on Zoom. I just did that because the cross country season here in the United States, the high school season just pretty much ended unless you're like a national caliber athlete. So I just like, I would have loved that when I was younger, mm. I would have loved to have, you know, I qualified for this high school national meet and there was a panel of uh, elite athletes. This would have been back in, this will show you how old I am, back in like <laughs> 1993. And they had this panel of athletes and they were all men except for one, Joetta Clark Diggs. And I was obsessed with her and I waited in line to get her autograph. And I have Oh. you know, followed her forever. She doesn't, I mean, she's so fast. She was a 400, 800 meter runner. I'm a marathoner, you know, but she was like the first like person I could like idolize. Cause I saw her and then I was like captivated. And then I would, whenever there was a track meet, I tried to see if she was racing on the television, you know? So I just think it's important to have those people because you never know who's sitting there. You never know who you're going to reach. And also like, let's just make it more welcoming. You know, I for everyone. I'm more I representative, see. like yeah. representing yes. and creating equality. You know, that's so, so important. And again, a lot of the drive now is that we're finally, but it takes so long to come in. We're finally so. starting to research this population <laughs> and actually understand female bodies more and understand what it is we need to do to support them better. So things are changing for the positive mm -hmm. but it's going to it is going to take time for us to really catch up because it has been a male dominated world it, like when we even think back to when the first women I, it wasn't even that long ago that women started competing in the olympics really when you yeah. think about it like stuff like that blows my mind because I've always been privileged enough to grow up in a world where there was women in sport and mm -hmm. it was already represented but like there was people who had the fight to get entry to stuff and I'm like wow and look at those I know. Like, thank you for doing what you did for for womankind 
Oh, it's, it's, it's mad. Trying to think, is there anything else? Like if you had key messages that you wanted to get out there to anyone listening, whether it's, we have some male listeners, but we have general public listeners and we have a lot of health and fitness professionals. What is the key messages that you would like to fall in people's ears? Just that women, you know, I was probably late thirties when I found out that women's bodies had not been studied in sport, that Mm -hmm. men's bodies had been studied and it was being applied to us. I couldn't believe it. it was like after my career was already over. So just a reminder that we are different and it's not good or bad. It's just different. And remembering that we have unique capabilities. Our bodies are just different. So when you're a young girl, your body is different and that's okay. And as you go through life and you know, if you're a coach or just a fan or just a dad, you know, remember your daughter is not a mini you. (laughs) She has her own different challenges and that doesn't make you bad. It just means that hers is different. And yeah, I just love what you guys are doing. I think it's so important to just focus on the female body. And it doesn't mean that we don't care about men. Like I'm married and I have a son. I'm like obsessed with men. Right. But that doesn't mean that we aren't, like you said, super behind research, super behind on opportunity. And we can still fight to get equal without taking away from the men. They're still important, but we can still like focus on us and help us kind of get up to where they are. It, it actually is helpful for everybody. Everybody wins then. Everybody succeeds. I love that. Oh, I'm <laughs> feeling very inspired. Um, thank you, Cara, so much for your time and your wisdom and your passion. It's It's been such a lovely conversation. And I hope every pregnant and postpartum woman listening takes on board every little bit of advice you've just offered them, because I truly believe that that's, um, that's game changing what you've just said. So thank you ever so much for your time. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thank so you so much for having me. I hope one day to meet you in person again. I know, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. We really hope you enjoyed it. We always love to hear your feedback and any questions you might have. So please do contact us via Instagram at atyourcervix underscore the podcast or Twitter at atyourcervix underscore PM. Don't forget to check out our wonderful sponsors, Jude and Pelvic Relief. You can find them at www.wearejude.com and www.pelvicrelief.com dot co dot uk. Gronya and I look forward to catching up with you next week.